Hello, it's Wednesday. I'm your host, Greg Margolis, and welcome to another episode of the Patterns of Play podcast. Hello, and thanks for tuning in again to another interview episode of the podcast. Uh, For today, I interviewed Julie Hubbard, who is a doctor of physical therapy and a certified strength and conditioning coach. Uh, But her real main focus is working with uh, soccer athletes, as well as just athletes in general. But her background as a Division I soccer player, semi-professional soccer player, I know that she is very much tied to the game and helping players in their recovery process in building strength and conditioning to limit potential injuries uh, and just continue to build as much as she can for the game and, and for her community, which was really great to hear all of the things that she is doing uh, in her area uh, and beyond through her her blog and her company just for kicks. Uh, so definitely a great conversation with her, uh, and really excited to present this one for all of you who are listening. Uh, so very much ready to get this going. So we'll go right to it. Uh, interview with Julie Hubbard. Hello and welcome to today's interview episode of the Patterns of Play podcast. I'm your host, Greg Margolis, and today I'm speaking with Julie Hubbard, who is a doctor of physical therapy and a strength and conditioning coach, uh, certified strength and conditioning coach. Uh, She is a former Division I soccer player where she played at the University of Connecticut while also playing semi-professionally afterwards as well. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for having me on. Really excited to have you here. Thank you for taking some time out of your Memorial Day. Uh, Hopefully you'll have uh, some nice weather where you're at uh, after this is finished. Absolutely. Anytime. Great. So first, I just kind of would like you to introduce yourself, provide some background on your experience as a soccer player, uh, and then what's really led you to become a PT and strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like many, I grew up playing soccer as a kid. Um, you know, I played for the Olympic Development Program and uh, a couple of clubs in Pennsylvania. And ultimately, this kind of led me to play. I played soccer at Penn State for two years um, before deciding that I wanted to transfer to the University of Connecticut. And that's kind of where I wrapped up my collegiate career. Um, but you know, throughout playing my career was riddled with a bunch of injuries. Um, just like many of us physical therapists, you know, we're drawn to the field by experiences of our own. So, um, I actually ended up tearing my ACL in high school and then I have torn it three more times. So a total of four ACLs, um, yeah, and that's kind of, you know, obviously introduced me to, to physical therapy and rehab. Um, and now that's kind of where I find my passion is, is helping kids come back from all kinds of injuries, not just ACL. Um, and I'm able to kind of tie it in with that sport performance aspect um, with my NSCA certification. Um, and I have a couple of other sport-specific certifications that allow me to kind of, um, you know, give give back, um, 
the way that that my athletic trainers and my physical therapists and my surgeons and and everyone was able to kind of get me back on the field that's what I'm trying to do now let's just pay it forward yeah it's funny how experiences from our past always seem to kind of fuel the directions of our lives. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of especially coming from, you know, some negative experience of tearing your ACL and having that repeat tearing, it still led you to find something valuable out of it and grow and continue to kind of pursue some really uh, impressive goals for yourself. Uh, one question that just came up from this, that's kind of away from you know, your, your life career wise, but I want to actually focus in on, cause I didn't know you had attended Penn state before you mm-hmm. went to UConn. I want to kind of get your perspective on the recruiting process and that I, that transferring, uh, from one school to another, kind of what led you to do that. And do you think there's anything from the recruiting process that would have been better for you to find, you know, the place that you want to be at? Um, you know, for me, the recruiting process was kind of cut short, um, just because I did tear my ACL my junior year in high school. Um, so I ended up, I'm from a very rural part of Pennsylvania with, with kind of limited exposure to, um, you know, higher level soccer. Um, so I actually ended up, I played ODP, um, and then I ended up guest playing on a couple of clubs down in Philadelphia. So I'd have to drive about three hours South to go and, um, train with them occasionally, but more so just kind of attend college showcases with them. And that was spirit United. That was, um, FC bucks. That was yard mm-hmm. make field soccer, some of the, the bigger clubs. Um, but I actually got kind of lucky in that, um, you know, Penn State hosted a one-day clinic, uh, an ID clinic, uh, trying to identify local talent. Um, and I ended up driving two and a half hours to central Pennsylvania and and showed up at that ID camp. Um, and then Penn State actually, you know, um, showed their interest and, and gave me an offer and a spot on the team. So I got pretty lucky in that sense, um, just because, you know, about three weeks later, I ended up blowing my knee out. Um, yeah. and then wasn't able to return to the the soccer field until my freshman year in college. Um, so I, I definitely got lucky there. Um, and then in terms of like the transfer process, you know, Penn state was a great fit for me. It was, it was close to home, you know, two and a half hours is a, a reasonable drive. It was fantastic academically. Um, I had a ton of friends there, um, just athletically, um, you know, I, I, it wasn't the best fit for me. Um, so after my sophomore season, um, you know, I, I, I shot emails out to, to maybe, you know, 15 other universities and I, I came up with a short list. Um, I made some visits and then decided, you know, to transfer to UConn, which is a very similar school. Um, it's, it's very rural, very agricultural based, just like Penn state, mm-hmm. um, has a fantastic health science program. Um, so I was able to kind of just you know, transition into that very nicely. Um, and then very similar academics. Um, so for me, I, I guess I got lucky twice. Um, you know, and I, and I, I had a a positive experience at both. So, um, I think the big thing is just, 
if you realize that you're somewhere and, and it might not be the best fit for you, not to just kind of throw the towel in and say, okay, well, you know, I guess this is it for the next four years. You can always, you can always make a change. And, and, you know, I encourage people who are unhappy to, to take that chance and to see what happens because you might end up in a better, you know, situation that fits you a little bit better. Yeah. And it sounds like with both situations, you did really, you know, due diligence, really good research to make sure that no matter what was going on with the soccer piece, that all the other pieces of the puzzle were falling into place with the academics, with the people that you were surrounding yourself with. So I think that was, you know, it sounds like that's the right way to go about things when you are doing this search. And then if you have the opportunity or the, um, the situation arises to transfer to still make sure that everything is exactly what you're looking for. Absolutely. Um, so that, that sounds like a really good experience that you've had uh, through that process. Absolutely. And I mean, I can't, I can't harp on that enough. Um, I think that, you know, throughout my career, I've seen a lot of <clears throat> kids just base their decision off of the soccer piece. And then, um, you know, when the soccer piece inevitably ends, whether you play professionally or, um, you know, semi-professionally, you know, eventually your career is finite, the body ages and, um, you know, you can't play sports forever. Um, so you have to prepare for life after sport, um, you know, by, by doing your due diligence and researching different academic programs and, you know, kind of, enjoying soccer while you have it, but also planning for life afterwards. Yes. And so it was when I was looking at your your website, I saw that you have some sports psychology background and you were doing a lot of research uh, during your schooling on athletic I identity and then, then this idea of transitioning from sports. So I, I'd love to hear about that research, kind of what you've seen and what your experiences have been from, you know, the people who graduate and finish their career and then also people who have their careers ended or cut short due to injury or something else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was at the university of Connecticut, um, you know, I kept getting injured. I did two ACLs there. Um, so I had extra eligibility, um, and I decided to get my master's degree in sport management. Um, so that actually allowed me to write a thesis and I wrote that thesis on, you know, transitioning out of sport, um, and like career termination. And, and what I did was I, I researched athletic identity in these student athletes and then how their transition went afterwards. Um, and what I found by and large, like the, the major theme was that when you identify exclusively as an athlete, it's very, very difficult to, to hang up the cleats and to retire from sport. Um, you know, it's, it's a confusing and challenging time often accompanied with anxiety and depression. Um, but that there are, there are certain themes that help make that transition a little bit better. So, um, if you're able to stay connected with sport somehow, you know, maybe you go into coaching or, um, you know, you somehow main, you know, maybe you play in a, in a recreational league or, um, kind of go out with your, your pals a couple times a week and, and kick around something that allows you to, to stay connected and maintain a small bit of that identity helps with the transition. Um, 
you know, as well as having a plan and knowing, okay, on this day, I'm going to hang up the cleats. And then um, this is the the new adventure that I'm going to kind of embark on. So having a, a plan set and then, you know, staying involved somehow is going to make that transition a little bit more positive. Um, but, you know, another large theme that we identified was that student athletes who have, or, or professional athletes, you know, it, it's not discriminatory, but, um, anyone that has their athletic career terminated involuntarily because of injury, um, has a much, much, much harder transition out of sport. Um, and so, I mean, that, that kind of made sense for me. Um, but it, it really hit home when I tore my ACL for the fourth time. Um, so I was actually, I was out living in San Diego I had just moved there. Um, I was trying to to find a way to make some friends, and and I've always exclusively identified as as an athlete. So, um, the first thing that I did was I signed up for a rec soccer league. Then um, I put my cleats on, and you know, a Sunday morning I I drove out to La Jolla or something, and 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 started to to kick around a little bit. And I actually blew my knee out in that first game. Um, wow. So I didn't make any friends. Um, I actually I had to move back to the East coast to kind of get, um, my knee fixed up and rehab and all sorts of things. So it was a a big, big mess for me. Um, and it was kind of a time where I had to realize that, you know, maybe soccer, those days are, are kind of behind me. Um, and I had a very, very difficult time coming to grips with that. And, um, you know, I was very depressed, very anxious, um, and that's actually what led me to found, you know, just for kicks that, that my current, um, LLC, but it's, it's just a project. Like I started this blog, just kind of talking about some of the, um, troubles that I was having with rehab or, you know, little tips and tricks of, of how you can navigate ACL rehab. Um, and it, it's funny cause it actually just kind of took off. Like I started picking up a ton, ton of readers, a ton of people started following me on Instagram. Um, and it actually just kind of turned into this full fledged business. Um, but you know, that was just my attempt of coping with the loss of sport. Um, and now it's kind of turned into this awesome little side project that I do. Um, you know, transitioning people back into sport after they, after they hurt themselves, but also, you know, kind of equipping them with some, some life skills in the meantime. So, um, yeah, I don't, I know that was a little bit long winded, but I hope that <laughs> answered your question. No, for sure. I, I think this, this idea of, um, you know, planning and f- making sure that there's a more to who you are than uh, just the sport you're playing and making sure that you are preparing yourselves for uh, life after sport, but still finding ways to still be involved and create new opportunities for yourself. That's the type of growth minded approach that I think a lot of athletes uh, should have. And it really is exciting that you created, then created something that's just for kicks, uh, uh, you know, business is something that's really unique. And I'd really love to hear some more about that, kind of what you've been doing with it recently, kind of what's the big things that people should take away about just for kicks. Yeah. um, So like I said, it it started as just a blog with some educational posts, um, just kind of a way for for me to cope with the loss of sport. Um, And then it it really gained some popularity. So you know, obviously it, it started out as just something to, 
to kind of help myself, but to help other people. So it's, it's, you know, kind of rooted in this idea of, of just doing good. Um, so initially, and, and I still do it, um, I'll travel around the state of Massachusetts and just give pro bono lectures to different clubs um, or universities or rec teams. I've kind of done the whole gamut um, on the importance of injury prevention, um, specifically ACL prevention. But, you know, you can kind of apply it to the entire lower extremity or lower quarter. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I, I go around and I give those workshops for free. Um, And then on top of it, I offer return to sport training for kids who have already torn their ACL. Um, And it's it's soccer specific. So we incorporate the ball as much as possible. But, um, you know, it's obviously rooted in rehabilitation science. So um, a ton of strength and conditioning principles come into play. We do. you know, we do plyometrics and jump training and agility and, and change of direction training. Then we do a bunch of strengthening. Um, and I have a whole battery of tests that that these kids have to pass before, you know, get, they get the green light to kind of return to sport, um, which has been pretty cool. And, and, you know, I've gone through the process with a couple of different players and it's just really exciting to kind of see them go through the process and grow and, and, and buy into it and um, just achieve little milestones. Um, you know, so I do that. I do the workshops. Um, I do general ACL prevention. So if, if a kid who hasn't torn their ACL comes in and and wants to get a little bit stronger and correct some biomechanical things, we'll go through that. Um, and then I do remote online strength training. So I have clients, you know, in, in California, in Seattle, in Florida, um, that I program remotely for. So, you know, those, those four things are, are kind of the, the tenants of, of what the business operates under. Um, but you know, largely, and I, and I say this all the time to, um, you know, the, the people that I work with, it, it was founded just to simply do good. Um, so, you know, whenever we get an opportunity to go and speak to mass youth soccer or, or the ODP program, or, um, you know, we just got off a a zoom call with FC stars, you know, just kind of educating players and giving a service to, um, you know, hopefully make somebody else's life and, and athletic journey a little bit less bumpy. Um, you know, that's kind of what it's all about. So yeah, Yeah, that's, that's that's just for kicks. It sounds awesome. And I love that it's, you know, really grounded and founded in doing good. And was this something that you purposefully thought would come together with, uh, you know, your background in soccer, your background with your own injuries, and then going about getting that sport management degree? Because it, it, I mean, it, you have all of the pieces of the puzzle. I want to know kind of did this come together organically? Or were you like, this is what I want to do? <laughs> Honestly, it, it, it just kind of worked out. Um, and you know, I, I always attribute it to, you know, things will work out the way that they're supposed to. Um, but yeah, no, the pieces of the puzzle just kind of fit together beautifully. Um, that last bump in the road for me, ACL number four, um, just kind of spiraled into this thing that developed, you know, like I said, I made the blog. I literally, I titled it just for kicks. Cause I was just, you know, anytime that I had <laughs> some free time to write, you know, I'd just be writing a little bit. Um, but then obviously, you know, with the sport management background, you know, I, I definitely, I understand a little bit about, 
sports psychology, but I also learned a ton about sport marketing and, um, you know, business and, and advertisement and, um, all of that. So that's a, it's just a perfect combination. I'm able to speak the language with the soccer players and with the kids and, and immediately get their buy-in just because I played at a high level. Um, I immediately get their buy-in when I say that I've torn my ACL X number of times and, you know, they're on the table, you know, with, with ACL number one, I'm just like, you know, you'll get through it, you'll beat it and you'll still play at a high level. It's okay. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I, I do have that sport management and that sport marketing piece and, and the physical therapy piece. So, um, yeah, no, it just kind of came together organically and, and I'm stoked about it. Yeah. I think it's always great when people go about their development as a player, as a person, as a, as a professional and just a holistic manner. And you very much have emulated that so far. So it's just been exciting to kind of hear this pathway. And I'm really now kind of interested to see what's your perspective been on your own ACL injuries on your, on your, um, your education uh, and your professional experience so far, kind of what people should be doing to help themselves prevent ACL injuries or just any kind of lower body injuries uh, that you see a lot in soccer? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's strength and conditioning is, is extremely important. Um, and growing up, I really didn't know the importance of it. Like I said, um, soccer wasn't very large where I'm from. Um, I'm from, you know, a relatively rural part of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, and moving to Boston, I see all of these huge, you know, powerhouse gyms with all the kids coming through and squatting and deadlifting and snatching and cleaning and pushing sleds and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I, I never had any exposure to that. Um, and it's not to say that you need to do all of those things, but I think that there is, um, some value in learning movement competency. Um, so, so learning how to, you know, jump and cut the correct way because there, there is a correct way and there's an, an incorrect way. And, um, I think that, just exposing, exposing your kids and your players to some neuromuscular, um, training or just some very basic, you know, core strengthening, um, simple agility drills and change of direction drills. All of that is extremely important. And if you train players and expose them to that at a young age, it's just, they carry it with them through their athletic, you know, journey and, you know, in, in my workshops, I always talk about the old adage of, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you can. It just takes a lot longer. And it's the same with um, like a collegiate soccer player. So if you take me at UConn, it's going to be a lot harder to teach me new ways to move and jump and cut than if I had been exposed to them at, you know, U12 or U13. Um, so that's kind of what I target in my, my, my workshops is just trying to find those younger kids and talk to them about the importance of just lower extremity strengthening and, and core stability and learning body awareness and, and, and how you should jump and cut and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I can't really harp on the importance of that enough. And what age do you think that should be incorporated? Um, you know, honestly, Anytime 
I would say before or um, during puberty, you know, when the body is is going through those changes and, you know, dimensions are are all thrown out of whack and you start to see this this awkward kind of lanky kid not sure what to do with their body. Um, that's that's ideal. Like we should try to capitalize during that time. So um, high school, high school age females in particular, um, you know, obviously men and, and boys are at risk of lower extremity injury as well. Um, but specifically when talking about ACL, female athletes are six to eight times more likely to sustain a, a knee injury just because of, you know, the biomechanical makeup of, of the female hips widening with puberty and the different angles at the knees and different neuromuscular patterns that, um, we tend to, to show, um, we can really kind of z- zone in and and target girls during this age to help, you know, change their patterns for the better. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also thinking like what, how could this potentially be incorporated? And, you know, you're, you're doing this at a, at a really ground level, going to places, going to clubs, going to schools and speaking on the importance of all of this, but, you know, for, for, you know, the, the coachings, the coaching staffs at the high school level or maybe on an underfunded area for club, how, how can they get the information for this? How and then how can they implement quality trainings into their you know short time frames that they have these kids uh, on the field? Yeah, I mean. I think that that's the biggest obstacle is that with limited time, a lot of coaches don't want to prioritize injury prevention. Um, you know, not all coaches, but, but many, and it, and it makes sense. If you have a finite number of minutes, you obviously want to get your kids as many touches on the ball as possible. And that makes perfect sense. Um, but I think the big thing is that a lot of coaches don't realize how quick it can be. You know, it doesn't need to be an hour and a half, three times a week. It can be as simple as a 15 to 20 minute warm up that you do two to three times a week that can really improve neuromuscular patterning and, and strength and core stability. Um, so I think that the first thing would just be trying to, to educate. Um, I try to pump out, I really advocate for the use of FIFA 11. Um, I think that warm up program is fantastic and it's very user friendly. There are pictures, um, it, it shows you a yes and a no way to do the exercises with like green, green checks and like, you know, red X's and it, it's very, very easy to use. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's also free and I love that. You can just go onto Google and, and type in FIFA 11 and it pops right up. It's like the first PDF and you can just download that onto your computer, onto your phone. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, it's a warm up, but it's a workout. And if you want to go to the gym and, and hit a couple of sets of these exercises, you can easily turn that into a strength and conditioning workout. Um, or you can abbreviate it. And like I said, make it like a 15 minute, just dynamic warm up that you do before your training or your games. Um, so I think that that's the big thing is just, is just education and trying to, um, you know, make resources available to people, um, that are user-friendly and, and easy to implement. Yeah. For a second there, I thought you were talking about the video game FIFA 11. I was like, <laughs> I was like uh, it's an odd way to go about it, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. If, uh, the, the medical committee at FIFA, um, you know, from a, a couple of different countries, all of their specialists came together and they actually, you know, created this, this program, this PDF that, 
takes kids through, um, you know, change of direction drills, core stability drills, um, plyometric jumps, and then lower body strength. So I think it's a four part program, but it's fantastic. It's, it's really easy to use and, and kids really enjoy it. You know, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm 28. Um, you know, there are different cutting patterns that are pretty fun and different, you know, partner drills with, with partner perturbations and like kind of pushing during jumping or jumping up and making shoulder contact. Uh, um, it, it's fun and it's easy and it, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So, um, you know, I can't advocate for that highly enough. Yeah. I think that's, that's incredible that, there's something out there that is free for everybody to get to. It really makes it fun, but it also truncates the amount of time because that's always the biggest argument for people is I don't have enough time to do this. Uh, and that kind of brings me to another thought of a lot of, from my own experience as a player, as a coach, uh, a lot of times the thing that's always missed is the cool down because we finish practice. Everyone has, especially at the college level, everybody has something else that they have to get to or at the club level there's you know you have to drive two three hours like your own experience how can we make sure and how can coaches make sure that the cool down is something that is really prioritized and why do you think it's really important um i mean i think that the the numbers say it all um so fifa 11 can be used as a warm-up it can be used as a cool down um but i think that when you tell somebody that they can you know, decrease the the number of ACL injuries or, or severe knee injuries, excuse me, by nearly 50%. Um, I don't think that you need much more convincing. You know, if you look at the statistics that support FIFA 11 um, in terms of ankle, hip, knee, ACL, acute um, overuse, all of the numbers are there. You know, it's an effective program. Um and and the data is going to tell you that. So if you need more convincing than that, I think that you know you're you. you, you <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be coaching, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, the data is there. So um, coaches should definitely make it a priority for a proper warm up and a proper cool down. Yeah, that's so. I think that's so valuable when you actually have numbers and data. It's really hard to not find a way to implement those types of things. Um, Absolutely. And uh, honestly, I, am... I, I think that it's in the first couple pages. So if you do, if you do Google FIFA 11, you download the PDF, it's actually in the first, you know, 10 pages or whatever, they have all of the statistics. So um, if you are interested, you can actually take a peek at those. So they are impressive. I will, I have it up right now and I'm going to look through that right after we're finished. Awesome. Um, so, now that we've let's transition a little bit into you know your experience as a PT uh, and helping those recover from their injuries, uh, you know if someone did pick up an injury, they come in to see you. How do you approach that recovery process from a physical standpoint? But then also, how do you really try and implement you know cognitive performance, mental? Um, some mental perspectives as well in that recovery process? Um, well, I mean, I think first and foremost, and I tell the coaches this all the time, is is that you have to address the mental before you address any physical. Um, so when, you know, I see a patient on the table and I'm walking up to them to introduce myself for the first time, you know, it's all about connection and, and showing them empathy and, and trying to kind of just meet them where they are and, and say, hey, I know this really stinks. Like, 
you know, this isn't fair and it's not fun for anyone, but we're going to find a way together to get you through this. Um, you know, obviously sharing a little bit of my journey always helps with buy-in just because, you know, it's kind of proof that bad things can happen, but you, you can come out on top if you just kind of change your mindset a little bit. Um, but definitely uh, addressing that, that mental piece and, and just kind of saying, you know, Hey, it stinks. I get it. I'm here for you. If you need to talk about anything, let me know. I'll be an ear. Um, and then coming up with a game plan. Um, so we'll come up with the game plan together, depending on what their goals are, when their their season is or their showcase or their tournament that they want to get back for, um, you know, within within reason. You know, the, the ideal ACL rehab is about nine months long. Um, and then we'll kind of create a plan backwards. So, all right, here's point B. This is where you want to get to. Here's point A. This is where we are right now. And let's fill in the in-between. So we've got nine months to to kind of get this done. Um, you know, here are some milestones and let's get to work. Um, and obviously in the beginning, it's quite boring and it's it's quad control and straight leg raises. And then that turns into, all right, let's learn how to walk again. And then it turns into, you know, lunging and single leg squats. And eventually you're you're running and you're doing some light plyometrics. And then that turns into jumps and to cuts. And now we're playing with the soccer ball and, and you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel can be seen. So, um, you know, I think the big thing is, is empathy, understanding where they're at and kind of meeting them there. And then um, coming up with a really solid bulletproof game plan just to kind of get their buy-in and, and, you know, give them a little bit of hope. Yeah. And then, especially from like a coaching perspective, how should coaches really help these injured players and in their recovery, pro- recovery processes? Um, I mean, I think just by giving them tasks that they can improve upon. So just because, you know, they can't be the number 10 out on the field dishing the ball, they can be doing other things. You know, the coach can, can have them, involved with training, you know, some of the more mundane tasks of, okay, you're going to go shag the balls or, um, you know, kind of be a voice on the sidelines to, all right, you know, we're going to work on your fitness. Let's hit upper body. Let's hit lower body to, um, okay, player X has the ball. What would you do with it? You know, helping them with some of the cognitive decision-making pieces, you know, that they can still very much be a part of. They just can't be the one physically on the field. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I, I tell my players when they come through is, all right, so you you can't be the one with the ball, but you can be watching film. You can be watching some of the greats and, and kind of learning from them and seeing how they move without the ball and how they move with the ball and, you know, some of the decisions that they make. And you can be learning from them during this time. Um, so just kind of coaches can just realize that there's always something that you can get better at. And so, get better at those things that, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally prioritize if you were healthy and and on the field. Yeah. I'm a big fan of using film for performance enhancement and skill development. So I think that's a really big one to harp on. And this idea of controlling the controllables, you don't have control over, you know, your ability to play right now, but you have your control over your ability to continue to learn in as many ways as you possibly can. So I think that's so important for coaches, for peers, for parents, for yourself, you know, the, the, the people that are helping in the recovery process to harp on for these players who I'm sure are going through 
this, you know, withdrawal and this lack of identity in those moments. Absolutely. And then kind of from, you know, a strength and conditioning perspective, you know, they've gone through the recovery process or, again, we can tie this back to injury prevention. What are some of the most important strength and conditioning exercises that soccer players should really be focusing on? You know, so I, that's always a really hard question. Um I think that the best exercises are the ones that are actually done. Um, So I always like to keep it really, really simple. Um, You know, for ACL prevention, we always talk about calf strength, hamstring strength, muscles on the the posterior chain, um, you know, core strength, quad strength. They're have been multiple research articles that have looked at different injury prevention programs and tried to identify the pieces that, you know, make the most effective programs effective. Um, and, you know, I think it was Patushak at all, maybe in 2018, they, they showed that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, injury prevention programs with things like Nordic hamstrings. So an eccentric hamstring exercise, um, calf raises and lunges were the most effective in terms of lower body strength. Um, and then it showed that the, the greater number of landing stabilization exercises that were incorporated, the better. So, um, those three strength exercises, and then a ton of, of jumping and landing exercises, those things make programs much more effective. So, um, you know, they don't have to be those specific exercises, but they do have to be exercises that have those themes. So like I said, a Nordic hamstring is just an eccentric focused hamstring exercise. Um, you know, a calf raise, you could do single leg calf raises, you could do calf raises off of a step, something like that. Um, and then the lunge is going to be a quad, you know, a knee dominant single leg pattern. So you could do single leg squats. Um, you could do lunges, you could do split squats, you could do rear foot elevated split squats. Um, all of those things are, are, should be incorporated in a prevention program. Um, but you know, if you wanted like a top three, they'd be Nordic hamstrings, calf raises and lunges. Okay. So this is, I mean, I'm going to go you know, broad generalization here of, especially for, for guys who just, they want to go into the weight room. They want to bench press, they want to squat, they want to deadlift mm-hmm. all of these other, you know, more s- muscle specific exercises, um, they tend, I feel like they tend to be overlooked sometimes. So how can, you know, coaches or strength coaches, ATs, PTs, how can we continue to help players see that doing these more specific type of exercises might be more valuable than being able to squat 300, 400 pounds? Right. Um, you know, I think that the one way is just to put a player in front of a mirror and say, all right, you know, do a single leg hop or do a lunge. Let's pick apart your mechanics a little bit. And, and when a player actually sees the way that their body is moving and, and maybe, maybe not the most effective or um, correct way, then we can kind of start at a very basic ground level and say, okay, like let's fix the way that you move first. And then we can make it a lot harder. So then we can incorporate things like dumbbells or kettlebells or barbells. You can do, um, you know, reverse lunges with a barbell and, and, and kind of get that same burn that you're looking for with a squat um, or, or a deadlift or, or even saying, you know, let's do a single leg deadlift. Let's see how your stability is um, and then kind of go from there. So I think maybe harping on um, 
mechanics first and like quality and, and looking at that before, you know, pure raw strength and grabbing a barbell that might help um, kind of just show players that, yeah, squatting and deadlifting is fantastic. Um, but we do also need just a basic sense of body control and postural awareness to, to make sure that we're kind of hitting everything that we need to in a strength and conditioning program. Yeah. So really making it, you know, showing the why, showing the value of it, but then also tying it to the individual themselves can be really important. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that makes it, it just, especially this generation, everyone is always looking for the why in everything. And if, if we as educators, as coaches, as practitioners can constantly provide that why, I think it always shows more value to the process for people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I tell my athletes all the time is that if you think about it, um, soccer is a single leg activity. You are always on one leg when you're running, you're, you know, bounding off of one leg and you're landing on the other and there's a flight phase in between. Or when you're striking a soccer ball, you're, you're planted on your, your, you know, stability leg and you're striking it with your dominant foot. Um, so you're always on one leg you should be very, very strong and very stable on one leg. And and that's kind of why I love doing single leg exercises. Um, obviously, you can't really load up with a barbell very easily um, with your single leg squats and your single leg RDLs. You certainly can, but it, it takes a more advanced athlete with a larger training age. Um, but I, I think that right there is, is way to get buy-in, you know, just by kind of breaking it down and saying, hey, if you think about it, you're always on one leg. Let's make you as strong and stable on one leg as possible. And that's going to directly carry over into your sport. Yeah, that's a perfect way, I think, to really break down the actual sports technique, technical skill, and what you're needed, what you're, is needed to do it to be able to show that value. And then now it, it kind of brings me to another thought of people can't go to the gym now and be able to just squat and deadlift and use weights because of what's going on with COVID kind of what's been your perspective on helping your athletes train during this really difficult time and kind of what have you been helping them focus on in that time, in this time frame? Um, you know, just like you said before, controlling the controllables. So, um, Obviously, first, we, we always talk about mental. How are you doing? Um, the shocking thing that, you know, I'll probably create a blog post or, or some sort of content about soon is that when I was on the, the Zoom call with the FC Stars Club, you know, I had over, maybe I had 100 kids on the call and I posed a question of how are you feeling with COVID-19? And you know, I got over 50, 60 responses of things like anxious, scared, isolated, depressed, sad, you know, all of these words were just kind of like flooding my screen. And I think that the first thing is, is obviously, like I said, meeting your players where they're at and saying, Hey, like, we know this stinks, but you know, let's focus on the things that we do have control over so that, you know, we can get out of this stronger than ever. Um, with with my athletes, um, we've been kind of reframing this as an opportunity as opposed to like an obstacle. It's it's an opportunity to get better and it's an opportunity to, to kind of work on some of your um, strength or, um, you know, lower 
developed qualities while we have the downtime. So um, I've been giving athletes a ton of body weight exercises for at home um, and then different options to make those body weight exercises harder. So incorporating things like slower tempos, maybe you add like a five count on the way down. So you're focusing on that eccentric contraction. That's going to make it harder. Or maybe you do a five count at the bottom of a squat and you hold that position. That's going to be an isometric contraction. That's going to make it harder. Um, You know, there are a million and one ways to make your home exercises difficult um, and and get what we want out of them. Um, But I think that first and foremost, it's just that reframing of, yes, this stinks. Yes, we know you can't go to the gym, but here are things that you can control and you can do. And if you do them, you're going to come out of this stronger than ever. So I think that that's probably the the most important piece is just getting a little bit of buy-in and then giving them some, some different options that they can do at home. Yeah. And again, I just, I really appreciate, and I know I'm, I guarantee everyone that you've worked with appreciates that, that thought process process from you of how are you doing first? And then let's dive into how we can get better. Uh, and I really love the, your, your quote there of reframe that this is an opportunity to get better. Uh, we can always focus on all the bad things that are going on, but if we take time to really gain some perspective and, refocus ourselves to see what are some things that I can be working on. Uh, it's just, there's always just opportunity for growth. So I really appreciate that kind of focus from, from you and how you work with people. Absolutely. I mean, you know, adversity breeds resilience. So, um, oftentimes you need a little bit of an obstacle to kind of bring out some greatness. Um, and I, I think that, that you can't say enough about that. So, um, Definitely reframing things and and just kind of understanding that, you know, if life gives you lemons, then you better make some lemonade. (laughs) So how about from your perspective, is there anything kind of new and exciting that you've been working on that you have kind of coming down the pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Just for Kicks has paired up with Athletic Evolution Physical Therapy. Um, It's an outpatient physical therapy clinic in Woburn, the greater Boston area. Um, and so what we're going to be doing um, now until the end of the summer is unrolling a soccer specific return to sport program, um, not for kids with an ACL injury, but for kids who have been sitting on their couch for the last eight to 10 weeks because of, mm-hmm. you know, COVID-19. So it's basically going to be focusing on athletes who feel detrained and deconditioned. Um, and we're just going to kind of build them from the ground up and say, all right, like, you know, let's hit this strength and conditioning program for the next six weeks so that when sports resume and when your season picks back up, you know, you won't see a spike in injuries. Um, you know, I know that that's, that's the big scare right now with sport medicine professionals is that, okay, there's this COVID-19 pandemic, but you know, when youth sports resume, are we going to see like an ACL epidemic as well? Um, you know, with, I'm sure that you've read some of the, the Bundesliga 
articles that are out, you know, their injury rates over the last couple, last week or two of uh, resumed action, their their injury rates have increased by 300% just because people went from sitting on the couch or, you know, maybe that's an extreme example for a Bundesliga player, but um, they've gone from a period of lesser physical activity to ramped up to 150%. All right, now let's let's jump back into games and, and jump back into um, the tournament and, and see what happens. Um, so, you know, it's, it's exciting for us to kind of offer this program and help combat that a little bit and help educate people about the effects of, of detraining in this unprecedented time where, where you wouldn't normally have to worry about something like this. But um, obviously, uh, sedentary activity has kind of taken over for the last couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to, it is going to be really interesting to see what happens with injuries when we all do get to start playing again and, um, you definitely have a good marketing and management savvy here to kind of get ahead of the game and get that ready to go. Uh, cause I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people looking for content like that once we're able to get back outside and be around people and being training in a more, uh, normal, normal way in the future. So that some, that does sound really exciting. Thank you. And just to kind of wrap things up here question that I ask people and something that's really important to, you know, the way that I approach my own life and approach how I work with people is what are your values in life and how do you act on them on a daily basis? Um, you know, I think without sounding too cliche is just, you know, when, when judgment day comes, you know, like what have you done to make the earth a little bit better? Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, kind of why I do what I do is if one person has breathed a little bit easier then um, that's a success. So um, every day I, th- I think that you should go out and, and try to make a positive impact. And if you impact just one person, then that's a job well done. That's, I can really appreciate that. Again, I just, I appreciate how you go about everything that you've done with your work and just for kicks and uh, your own experience just sounds like you're doing a lot of good for, for people in your community and people that you're connected with. Um, So again, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, taking some time out of your day and sharing some of your knowledge um, with the people that tune into this podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, Just to kind of wrap things up, I'd love if you want to, you know, plug your social media, uh, anything out there for people to get in contact you, where to find you. Uh, go ahead and plug that now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're interested with you know anything that I have to say, you can always read more at www.justforkicksboston.com and it's the number four. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram at justforkicksboston. Um, on both of those sites, there are different links for contacting us um, via email or via text or, or phone call. Um, you know, Definitely feel free to reach out because we would love to hear from you. Great. I will make sure that all that information is in the show notes as well. Uh, But again, Julie, thank you very much for coming on and enjoy your Memorial Day. All right. You too. Thanks so much, Greg. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye.
Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Patterns of Play podcast. Thank you very much to Julie Hubbard for coming on and speaking about her experience as a player, as a professional, and everything that she is doing uh, through Just for Kicks and within her community. Uh, so thank you very much to to her and having her on for this episode. Uh, I will have all of her information in the show notes, uh, but again, you can check her out on Instagram and what she is doing uh, with her company, Just for Kicks Boston, and that four is the, is the number four. Um, not the actual word, uh, and then with her website as well, justforkicksboston.com. Uh, I will have both of those in the show notes, and then I'll also provide the link to the FIFA 11 uh, training profile that she was talking about as well for warm-ups, cool-downs, uh, and just as a, a soccer-specific training guide. Uh, so that will be in the show notes as well. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Patterns Play Pod. Uh, you know, I've been doing a lot with the Bundesliga games uh, during games, providing a little bit of insight from tactical and analytic analytics um, standpoint, using some uh, pictures and some stats the, that they that I use through uh, the one of the apps on uh, online there. So definitely check that out with games being played. I'll, probably be doing another one of those later today um and then in some exciting news from the nwsl the utah challenge that is coming out uh that they have now developed a tournament style league that they will be doing for this summer uh with the coronavirus hitting they they have adapted to a different style of play in their league structure so throughout the end of June and all of July, they will be playing games, which is really exciting. Uh, and then also today, the Premier League announced that they have now returned to full contact training uh, within f- the full groups that they have. So they are pretty close to returning to play as well. I know the MLS has been training uh, more from a you know that individualized standpoint, but they're probably pretty close to returning to play as well. So we have a lot of soccer that will be coming down the pipeline that will be featured on this podcast as well as more interviews coming down the line as well. So thank you again for tuning in. Very much appreciate it and have a great rest of your week. Thank you.